have some dog ASMR going on. Ronnie, Ronnie, <laughs> stop. Whatever you're eating, you should not be eating. <laughs> okay. Anyways, hi there. Hello. I haven't seen you in forever. I know. It's only been two minutes. Not even two minutes. We've been in the room for like an hour. <laughs> and we've been living together for a long time. Like an hour. What? <laughs> I was you like, said I said that. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Um, how's your week been? Good. Yeah? Yeah. Tell it was cold. It. it snowed. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it snowed. Um, today we got vaccines, so my arm hurts. Super hurts. But otherwise it's been good. The dogs have been a nightmare. I don't know. I don't know if it's the weather or what's going on, but they are not, they're not feeling this positive vibe. They're <laughs> destroying the house. So I love it. So much fun. It's great. Um, how was your week? Good. I worked. I wish I didn't. Fair. It's my second week on nights, so I'm a little bit more accustomed, so it's not as draggy. But um, first week back in school again with work. It's online schooling, so I'm, like, cheating, but still a lot of work to do. Yeah. So, busy week for me. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yep. Let's, should we jump right in? Uh, yes. I have two things I want to talk about first. Go ahead. Um... Our last episode that you guys listened to about um, Boris Karloff and Edgar Allan Poe, I said that one of the stories that he wrote was called Message Found in a Bottle because every source that I found had it abbreviated as MS period found in a bottle. So I just assumed it was message. It's I fair should, assumption. I should have looked in to see what it actually was. And when I was looking at pictures to post for... The episode, I was like, oh, no, it's manuscript found in a bottle. So, Who would know that? Right? I was just like, no. the one time, Poe, you come up with a clever name yeah. is when I least expect it. So that's fine. But I just wanted to fix that in case somebody is really a Poe fan, apparently, and is like, mm, that's not right. So sorry, my bad. And then the second update I have, which I forgot to do last episode, is our friend Monique, who were on... Um, t- I'm on two episodes of her podcast, um, Baby Shroom Pod. We're both on one episode of her podcast, which is super cool. You should check it out, Baby Shroom Pod. She has artwork and stuff on her Instagram. Super we have a cool. ton of her artwork in our house. Yes, because she's, she's such a good artist. I love her. Um, she's a great person, too. Um, and she listened to our Y2K episode, and she told me one of her Y2K stories. And Monique, if you're listening, I apologize if I get this wrong, because you sent it to me in a voice message that deletes after two minutes. So this is your own fault if it's wrong. Just an <laughs> FYI. Um, but I, from what I remember, she had said that her dad was really big on, like, um, the survival part of Y2K, and he they had, like, a lot of, like food and stuff like that and like resources like ready for it and they would have like drills where they would go and like put on like riot gear or something crazy and like go prepare for the end of the world and stuff like that she had told me in much greater detail but maybe we can talk about that on her episode when we're on it again because i hope that's the plan that was a lot of fun to be Mm -hmm. talking to her she's a great person so those are the only two updates that i have cool that's it um i want to talk about we're both going to talk about this, but hometown moidas. Slash crimes. Slash crimes. Um, mine's a moida. Mine's crime. a crime. <laughs> so, um, Bear's giving me such a look. Do you want up here? No. Okay. Um, 
Sorry, she's glaring at me. She, go ahead and glare. She's a dog. <laughs> okay. Go away. Um, so my hometown is Canyon City, Colorado. And no, it's not Canon City. It's Canyon. It has the tilde above the N. So, so if you're a famous podcast and you keep calling it Canon City, they're yeah. wrong. The podcast, yeah, one of the podcasts I listened to called it Canon City. They didn't even say Pueblo, right? They called it the. Did they they say Pueblo? No, they said the Pueblo. Oh, I don't even know if I can say it wrong. Pueblo. They they pronounced it wrong. Pueblo. It's totally Pueblo. It's like pebble. That's it's Pueblo. And they called I don't know. They pronounced a lot of things wrong. They pronounced the sheriff's name wrong. Um, They said Beaker. His name is Biker. I know. So there was a lot of things mispronounced that I'm going to pronounce correctly, but I'm just going to say it's Canyon City. If you want to look it up, you can type in Canyon City. It'll get you what you want as long as you put the Colorado, but it's Canyon. Because, um, you know, Spanish. End of rant. End of rant. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so really quick before I start talking about the Moida, I'm going to get into fun facts about Canyon because I really, I wish I appreciated my hometown a little bit more when I lived there. There's a lot of really cool things that I took for granted and like now like moving away. I was like, dang, I should have taken advantage of the things that were there. Um, but also to give us an idea of what the setting is for this murder, because I have background in it and I actually have a little bit more inset scoop and I love it. Um, Canyon City is a small town. The population's of, as of 2019 was 16,500. So it's not small. that big. Yeah, it's pretty small. Um, but it, since it's small, it has um, not since, but th- though it's small, it has so much to offer. There's this really cool place called the Riverwalk and it's where you can basically literally walk along the Arkansas River and it's a two like it's a one mile trip to the end the other end where they like actually created this pathway and so if you want to get back to your car it's another mile back so it's a really cool like two mile walk or like a bike or a run or you can Mm -hmm. walk your dog super fun it's very scenic I actually for my biology sophomore year class we had to go through and um for our final project, find, like, different specimens that lived there and do, like, research. And we had to have picture evidence and all these That's things. Cool. Like, we had to find it and then do research on what right. it was. It was super cool. Yeah. And there's, like, bears that are hanging out there. There's sometimes cougars or mountain lions that were hanging out there. Nice. It was super cool. I didn't see the the big ferocious animals i just saw like a frog or fish or some shit um so that's really cool um another really cool thing is called skyline drive which is a 2.6 mile one-way road that's on top of a very narrow ridge that overlooks canyon city um the entrance of the road is on the very west side of town off of highway 50 um so you're like basically just getting out of canyon and then like curves going north and then the exit's like off to your east to your right there um if you're going one way but um then as you get up it's obviously a one-way road so you get up and there's like scenic views where you can literally overlook the whole town it's so cool i loved going up there at night even though like they obviously close it down at night after a certain time when it gets dark and stuff and then it like when you get down, you'll go through what we call the hogbacks, which is just kind of like some prairie stuff that people will like dirt bike in or ATV or walk in, whatever. And it, the very, very exit of Skyline, you get maybe a couple blocks from downtown. Hmm. So it's super cool to just like visit. Yeah. But the coolest thing about Skyline Drive is that it was built by 60 inmates from the prison that's in town. 
And um, that was built in 1905, and it wasn't open to automobiles until 1907. Um, when Sky, when you're when you're on Skyline Drive on the way up, if you pay close attention, because it's really ho- easy to miss it, on your left hand side, you'll see um, dinosaur prints, and there's like a little plaque, and they were discovered in 1999, and these prints belong to the Ankylosaurus, which is when I look up pictures, because I don't know what that is. It's like the armored dinosaur. That, according to Google, is a reptile? Apparently Uh, a reptile dinosaur. I don't... I didn't know that there were non-reptile dinosaurs. I guess the bird ones are like... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either, but that's what Google said, so I'm sorry if I'm wrong, for those who actually know. But they're the ones that have, like, the super armored bodies. They're basically, like, the corgis of dinosaurs. (laughs) They have, like, really short arms. (laughs) Um, But they're pretty, like, wide, and they have really armored bodies. Like, their heads are, like... They got, like, the spike halo kind of thing. And then their tail comes to, like, that flat edge that's, like, a shovel. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're picturing it? Perfect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But apparently they were living during the Crustaceous period, which was 65 to 144 millions of years ago. So the fact that those prints are, like, they're, they're really there. Like, I've seen them hundreds of times, like... They're fucking footprints. Cool. It's crazy. Super cool. Um, but did you say the crustaceous? Cretaceous. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> the age of the crustaceans. <laughs> I'm sorry. Crabs Crata- everywhere. Cretaceous. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> Again, more facts that I'm I don't so know sorry. anything about dinosaurs. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Call me out when I'm wrong. I would love for you to do it on the same episode, other than like somebody later on like 20 episodes later and I have to correct myself you know anyways so one famous thing that Canyon City is known for is the prisons in the area um there's one in Canyon um I don't remember what it's called I think it's like territorial prison or something like that's one my dad worked out for 20 years and I should know the name of it but I don't know it's literally in the middle of town and then there's like nine others that surround canyon it is very heavy with prisons there's like the women's one of women one of colorado's women's prisons there's max super max that's there the where like really 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 bad guys are housed super bad you can see that when you're driving into canyon there are like terrorists in there yeah there's yeah, yeah from like 9-11 i think yep so that's cool um literally when you're driving from anytime if you're on highway 50 driving into canyon um, going west into Canyon, not east, going west. You will see probably six prisons if you're paying attention. And like three of them are kind of just like lined up right there for you. They're like, anyways. So prisons, yay. Um, the other most famous thing that Canyon City is known for is the Royal Gorge Bridge, which is the highest suspension bridge in America. I didn't know that. It was in the world, and then China took that away. Um, And it also has a zip line of the same title. So if you want to go on the world's highest, not world's, but America's highest zip line, go to Canyon City, Colorado. Um, That's it. I'm done. Cool. Cool. So let's talk about the Moida. Let's go. So I'm going to be talking about the murder of Candace Hiltz. Um, She was born December 22nd, 1988 in Canyon City, Colorado. She has nine older brothers. So a huge family. Um, but one brother of particular interest that we're going to be talking about is her brother named James. Apparently James, just a little sidetrack on him, he had very, um, sorry, he had several psychological issues, um, such as extreme case of paranoia when he was around people, and that caused for him to not 
want to be around people. Mm. Um, and this was also sometimes described as a phobia, not so much paranoia. So either way, he did not like to be around people. Um, and it affected his relations, or I'm sorry, his relationships and interactions with the public, his friends, and even his family. Um, so much that he moved out into the woods behind his family's house because he couldn't or didn't want to communicate with people due to his mental state. Um, also, one of my... to unpack. I know. One of my... I probably have like 14 sources for this real quick. One of them is a great podcast, True Crime Garage. Unfortunately, they did pronounce some things wrong, but as much as it affects me because I live there and I'm like, how could you get that wrong? I also understand when you just see C-A-N-O-N, you know, yeah. can't be too mad. Um, and then like a lot of them were like local papers, like Canyon City Daily Record. There were some from the Denver Channel. So a lot of local sources from this besides the podcast and then some Reddit sources. Anyways. According to True Crime Garage, um, Doris Hiltz, who was Candace's and James's mother, stated that at times James didn't believe that she was his mother and believed that some other woman was. Uh-oh. Yeah, so very... Red flag. Yeah, so some very, like, uh, displacement issues there. Um, So, quick side note, like, re- reading about James kind of reminded me of a lot of um, issues that we deal with at work with mental health issues that go undiagnosed and like not only undiagnosed but like untreated so like even if it's not easily diagnosable like at least seek some treatment so if you know a family member that has issues like this or like doesn't matter how quote insignificant like none no mental health issues are insignificant but if you think it is and you're like oh it's fine this is nothing like just like I've gone to therapy I think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened Same. to me. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I think everybody could, everybody, even if you think you're normal, can really benefit, benefit from, from some kind of mental health resource. So, I just want to, like, put that out there. If you have a mental health issue, if you know somebody who's having a mental health issue, please try to get some help or try to educate yourself on how to get that help. Because every place is different. Anyways, done sidebar. So, a running thing that you'll see in a second is... But I just want to talk about it right now, since we're talking about James, Candace was very protective of James and didn't like when anybody spoke badly of him, especially I'm sure people said that stuff all the time because it was mental health issues. Canyon is a small town. Unfortunately, it's not like it's I feel like growing up in a small town, I think personally, this is my opinion that like the drama in small towns is so much greater than in bigger towns because it's like everybody knows everybody and everyone's in your business and everyone thinks they know what's going on. And that drama becomes like center of everything for everyone. Yeah, which you'll see how everything gets highlighted here. Anyways, so moving on. Unfortunately, in 1993, when Candace was five, her father died. Uh, But she didn't let that hold her back. She was basically a genius. She was considered essentially a prodigy when she was able to do calculus at 11. Oof. (laughs) Yeah. Very smart girl. She was also described as a tomboy and always, again, stand up for people who were being mistreated. Even bullies who, like, towered over her five foot two height. Like, she was, like, a pit bull. Like, don't come at me. Nice. Um. Also, pipples are very friendly animals, so don't judge what I just said. Candace's sister-in-law, Heather Hiltz, described Candace to the Denver Channel as, quote, very intelligent, very funny, will protect you at all costs, end quote. So, obviously somebody that you really want on your side. Um, 
Perhaps due to those characteristics, she had an interest in leading justice and becoming a lawyer, Hmm. um, specifically going to Stanford Law to do so. And I know she had also an extended dream after becoming a lawyer of becoming a Supreme Court justice. Badass. Yeah. So she had. That's literally my next line is pretty badass. Yeah. Um, Thanks for taking the words out of my mouth. Welcome. Thanks. Um, She like had some big dreams and she probably was gonna achieve those which is sad that she couldn't yeah in early 2005 candace at just 16 years old was in her second year of college at brigham young university in provo utah um that's also when she found out she was pregnant yeah so not a whole lot on the father but that doesn't seem relevant because he doesn't seem like he was in her life except for to everyone at Brigham Young University. I'm sure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, You don't know. BYU is, like, exclusively Mormon. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I mean, I feel like Utah. They they always used to kick our ass at rugby. Yeah? Yeah, because they would all go off on their missions, come back and be way older than us, but they would still qualify to play against... Oh, my gosh. I've never... I've never played a team that hurt me as bad as BYU did. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the insight. I love all the insight we're Come having back. for this. Anyways, um, so anyways, though Candace was super invested in her education, she also wanted to make her child a focus in her life, which is amazing because, you know, some people unfortunately don't, but not saying that everybody doesn't, but um, especially at that age, it's kind of hard to mature and understand that anyways um she considered taking a few years off of schooling which really wouldn't have put her back much because she was already ahead of other people her age so that would have basically put her back in line with everybody else that was going to school at the time um i mean geez just in calc she's five six years ahead right yeah 20 years ahead of me because i never (laughs) even took calc so good for her i can barely pass stats here we are anyways so Ultimately, after discussing this with her mom, I believe, she decided to continue her education with Brigham Brigham's online program, and she moved back to Canyon with her mom so she can have the extra help. Um, I believe sources were kind of different, but I think that her mom's house, there were a few of her brother, of um, Candace's brothers that were still living there. Mm-hmm. I don't know which ones or how many, but there was still, it was probably i think minimum like four people living at the house at the time uh, were which, they mormon i don't think so okay i don't i know of, i think you have to be go to byu do you i'm pretty sure i was like i can think of one person that i was friends with that is mormon i don't know if canyon really has a big mormon population but i'm probably ignorant to that because that wasn't really something that i was right. like are you mormon ew bye like i don't <laughs> care about what your religion is as long as you're a nice person um, anyways, so when she moved back to Canyon City, um, she gave birth to her daughter who, um, she named Paige in September, on September 19th of 2005. Um, there were a few complications and according to the Canyon City Daily Record, Candace had suffered a stroke while she was pregnant and this caused for her daughter Paige to be diagnosed with hydrocephalus. Oof. I hope I'm pronouncing that, that right. Sucks. Um, Basically, what that is, I'm not going to try to pronounce it again. It's an abnormal accumulation of cerebral spinal fluid in cavities of the brain. Mm -hmm. So it will put increased pressure inside of Paige's skull. And at such a young age, um, according to 
Beth Ann LaRosso, which is Paige's aunt, so I'm assuming Candace's sister-in-law, um, gave a quote to the Canyon City Daily Record that um, doctors gave Paige a survival time of, quote, hours to maybe a few days to live, end quote, which big old middle finger to those doctors because Paige lived to be seven, so. Wow. A few days, my ass. Anyways. Wow. Unfortunately, she couldn't walk or talk, but she right. still had a much longer life than sure. they expected her yeah. to even have. Um, but also, according to the, my various sources, with that short-term life expectancy of Paige, Candace treated every day like it was Paige's birthday. That's awesome. Right? Like, every day the, the girl was getting toys, which is cool. showered with love, which is amazing. Um, so within that next year, in 2016, Candace was 17 and was now a junior at her university. Um, that same year, she received her acceptance letter to Stanford Law. Wow. Yeah. At 17. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Anyways, this is when things start to take a turn, sadly. With all of these ups and downs that we've had, there's a very big down. On August 10th of 2006, a deputy, um... According to True Crime Garage, they said he was a lieutenant, but I'm just going to call him deputy. Uh, Robert Dodd from the Fremont County Sheriff's Department came to the Hilt's home. Real quick, Canyon City has its own police department within the jurisdiction of Canyon City. So if you're just outside of that jurisdiction, you fall into Fremont County Sheriff's Department jurisdiction. Right. Which, so even if you kind of live in town, the sheriffs are... Exactly. Are so like... Even though her address might be Canyon City, yeah. it might just be right outside of those jurisdictions. And a, there wasn't really an exact place where she lived, and I didn't want to, like, Google their address. Well, and just, cause... like, here, there's probably pockets. Of... Yeah, yeah, that's we, true. In our town, there's a lot of spots where, yeah. like... But, I mean, when I think town, about Canyon, but... when they said that James lived in the woods, I'm thinking, like... Sure, okay. Always out, because yeah. Canyon is pretty... It's kind of, like prairie desert kind of yeah. and then it's when you start to get towards the mountains pretty, and towards like, the royal gorge slope. yeah it's pretty western slope and even then the woods themselves yeah. like aren't like dense woods like you would yeah. think like picture like from seattle or northern california or things not seattle it's like western that's... colorado is pretty much utah and then eastern mm-hmm. colorado is pretty much kansas like <laughs> <laughs> yes that's so true um so like the woods there are different than what i it's not I like personally picture, the but I, forest. Yeah. Like. <laughs> no, it's like there's a few trees here and there. It's not very dense. But maybe in some places it's dense. I just haven't seen those places. But from what I've seen, it's nothing really crazy. Anyways. So, yeah, Fremont County. So, uh, Deputy Dud was looking for James in question, two question. Excuse me. He, Deputy. I wonder mm. if he's like a lieutenant now. But, mm. like, back then, mm. I don't know. I think it seems weird if a. I can't imagine one of our lieutenants going to do... But I don't really know. So that's why I was just, like, throwing it out there in case he actually was okay. a lieutenant. Sure. And I don't want to be mislabeling him because I right. understand, like, titles are important. Sure. But also, I'm like, I didn't find in any of my sources that he was a lieutenant. But hmm. whatever. Anyways, um, Deputy Dud was looking for James to question regarding a trespassing incident, um, which I think was technically a like breaking and entering, like burglary kind of situation. Um, but we'll get into that in a second. So Deputy Dodd was originally speaking to Dolores, but Candace was also present, I think because she was like, I'm going to law school and I'm going to make sure that you're not going to do some dumb shit. I'm obviously an expert. Right. 
<laughs> um, but again, unsurprisingly, Candace was being protective of her brother um, and didn't appreciate the way that Dodd was talking about James and the or the questions that he was asking or just his demeanor in general. It, I'm not really sure because different sources gave different reasons and the only person that knows what happens are Dodd and now Candace's mom. Who knows? But um, Candace was like, you can leave. Like, we're done here. Like, he's not here. Go basically. So then things got heated between Candace and Dodd because, I mean, I can understand, I can maybe not really understand, but I can see from maybe a little bit of a weird perspective that as a grown man who is possibly a lieutenant getting um, <laughs> yelled at by a 17-year-old girl, it might hurt my ego a little bit. For, absolutely. Yeah. So it would I hurt mean, my ego. Yeah. He got a little butt hurt. <laughs> Or whatever, and he threatened to arrest Candace. For what? Yep, I have no idea, but I think <laughs> it might have... obstructing. That's my bet. I mean, I can understand that if he could prove that James was there. Yes. But he had no, no. knowledge. He had no proof. He was, I think, just throwing he that out. He just wants to, to be a dick. Yeah, but again, I wasn't there. This is just my opinion. Um, so, <laughs> Candace, being a true... Um, <laughs> 17 year old badass was like okay held out her wrist and was like arrest me then and dodd was like she called his bluff yeah she totally (laughs) called his bluff and she continued by saying um that she wanted to expose him because she saw him around town taking bribes from local drug dealers was he I have no evidence of that. Okay. That is just okay. what she is claiming in this moment. So I don't know if she's now bluffing back or oh if she God, really it's had like a regular poker game. Yeah, like... so I don't I have no idea, but honestly she the ball first of all the masters. balls <laughs> and That's second right. of all, like she's got big balls for super sure. Super big balls. Like damn. <laughs> but also the thing is it's like as somebody who is going to college for law school potentially i think that she would know better than just throw out false accusations she's a very 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 smart girl and i don't think that she would have just blindly been throwing things out there yeah Yeah. um so dodd pretty bad yeah to your like when you're getting your (laughs) law degree they're like also you threatened you did empty threats tell us about this you're like at your boards like you're like whoops uh so I was 17. <laughs> Anyways, um, but Dodd... they wouldn't ask you that, but... Huh? I don't think they would ask you that. I, I think no you just idea. go take an exam, the bar exam or whatever. Yeah, I have no idea what it takes to be a lawyer. Clearly. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I wouldn't be here if I was a lawyer. I wouldn't have Ow. No, I mean, like, I wouldn't be making this <laughs> podcast because I feel like I'd be busy with caseloads. I'd be busy lawyering, obviously. Uh, obviously, I would be the top-notch lawyer with all the cases in town. <laughs> Anyways, um, Dodd left the house. He wasn't happy. Um, I don't really know what happened after Candace called him out, but he left. Um, then three days later, later on August 13th, the family comes home to notice that the family dog Jackson was missing. Yeah. Um, so living near the woods, they thought that maybe a mountain lion might have gotten it, which is... I think very plausible because I like I had cats growing up that I'm pretty sure coyotes got. Um, I'm pretty sure that like if we can go on the river walk, which is near a very populated area and mountain lions and bears are there and like the idea of living near the woods and having your dog just getting snatched up by one of those is not at all something that no. isn't feasible. Um, 
but I mean, they like search for him. But then at the same time, they were like, oh, this happens. Maybe it happens to them a lot. And they're like, not too worried about it. I'm not really sure. Um, so then on August 15th, Dolores left home around noon to run some errands. And then when she returns three hours later, she notices that 11 month old Paige was just left alone in her crib and there was nobody in the house Ooh, to be like found. Sad. I mean, not she's not like searching no at this adults. point. But she's not, like, being greeted by somebody, you know? When someone comes into your house, especially if it's a family member, you're like, hey, how was your your trip? Are you, like, what's going on? Especially when she found Paige, like, crying in her crib. Like, red flags. Yeah. Um, And then, so when Dolores started to look a little bit more, she found that there were pools of blood along the floor. Oh, that's problematic. As well as drag marks. Oh, worse. Yeah, so then Dolores checked. Ooh, um, that's panicky. Yeah, some of the bedrooms, and she found Candace's body Uh-oh. wrapped un- in a green comforter and shoved under a bed that had been propped up by one of my sources said a computer speaker. That's weird. Super weird. Super. Like you went to weird. like a lot of links. To not really hide that body well. Right? Like, it's like, let's just... Uh, like, you did a lot of stuff in the house. Were you just proving that you could, like, fuck around in the house for a bit? I like, <laughs> what's the... I like how they prop up the bed. Like, we just killed her, but we don't want the bed to squish her. Yeah, we don't want... This is art. Yeah. Anyways, I'm gonna just keep going. Um, Maybe. So, you never know. Maybe. Um, at the time, Dolores noticed that... Candace had several gunshot wounds, um, and that, according to some of my sur- sources, which were mainly Reddit sources, so I'm not sure how okay. credible these are, but I thought it was very interesting, um, that Candace's body was so severely assaulted that about 75% of her head was essentially destroyed, unrecognizable, and it's, like, so much so that she was almost beheaded. Um, again, not sure so if this is reliable. and beat. I think that when you look at a body that's been shot up so severely, it basically looks like a ground meat. Okay. That's what so I'm thinking. So she was shot in the head? Yes. Head, neck? Okay. Yes. Um, so we'll get into True. the cause of death here in a second. I'll get more in depth about those gunshot wounds. But, like, I just want you to get visualize, like, what her mom is saying right now. And it's, like, her daughter is fucked. Like, no, I couldn't. I literally couldn't. Dolores obviously calls 911 and waits for help. Um, True Crime Garage and a couple other sources found it odd that it took deputies about an hour to get there after D, I call her D in my notes to abbreviate, Dolores arrives back home. But I'm going to dispute this as odd because, first of all, if they live down the county, especially out south. County is very different. It's very different from local policing. There's a much larger area to cover. And if there's not as many, depending on the county, there's not as many officers that are readily available, especially if they're tied up on other calls. Like, I don't know what was going on that day. I don't know if they had to break from another emergency call or if they were just cruising around and they happened to be on the other side of the county when this call came in. So it really just depends on circumstance. So I don't find it hard to believe that it took an hour once Dolores reportedly arrived back home. Circumstance, uh, right. staffing. Right. And especially on top of that, we don't know when she called 911. Compared to when th- she found the... Okay. Right. So it's like she arrived home and found the body, I'm assuming, probably within like 15, 20 minutes after she took care of Paige or whatever. But like, 
Did she like sit there and like mourn her daughter and wonder what happened and then call 911? Was she in a state of shock and then called 911? Was the deputy right there and it just got so delayed for her to call for help? Mm. I don't know the circumstance, but either way, I can understand either like whichever way. Like it took her a while to call or it took a while for them to get there. Right. So just want to play devil's advocate for that. Um, So two deputies responded. One was Deputy Briscoe and the other was, do you want to guess? No. Deputy Dodd. The guy that Candace just yelled at. Oh. Yeah. Um, So upon arriving at the Hilt's residence, they observed that a door was broken into with like a crowbar or some type of pry bar. Um, And then um, obviously they get the Fremont County coroner there and all that stuff. And uh, Candace was pronounced dead at 523 that evening. Um, Other than that, according to Dolores, there's nothing really to go on with the investigation. They took the body away and collected evidence. But they did a really shit job of collecting that evidence. Um, So I guess what happened is that Dolores went to the sheriff's department to get interviewed. And, like, people are still there collecting evidence, obviously. I don't know who was doing what. But I'm pretty sure um, Briscoe was interviewing Dolores back at the station. Okay. But I want to quickly talk about what the family found when they returned home after their interrogation. So they're like, like let, they're allowed back in the house, everybody else is gone? Right. So okay. once they're finally allowed back into the house, um, uh, Dolores and one of her sons named Jonathan had discovered that the house wasn't taped off. Which, I mean, if they're allowed back in the home, I don't think they would have that stuff no. back up. Um, but... They found that especially weird because they're, they reported that one of the doors was left open. I'm not sure what that means exactly. I'm not sure if it's, like, like wide open or if it's unsecured. Okay. Exactly. If it's, like, just shut a little bit but not latched. That could, I mean, that could be a just, like, a miscommunication. Like, oh, yeah, right. I'll go shut the front door. You shut the back door. You mm-hmm. shut this. And then something just doesn't right. happen. Okay. Also, living in Canyon, especially if they're out in the county, out in the woods, it's windy. It's, like, super windy. And if that officer, like, pulled, and he's like, yeah, that's secure, but he didn't quite latch it because there's some doors that you really have to pull or you have to, like, lift and pull. Like, some doors are finicky, and we know that. What time of year did it happen? It happened in August. Okay. Yeah, August 15th. Okay. Canyon's windy all year long. Sure. So... I don't know. I don't know if, like, the wind maybe knocked it over and, or, like, like you, like I said, it's, like, not completely secured and mm. they just, like, push it open and they're like, oh, it's not latched. It's open. It's wide open. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I'm sorry to over-dramatize oh, that. But, um, yeah. So, that was one thing that they were, like, that was suspicious to them when they were walking in. Um, and I kind of thought of, like, a John Bonet kind of thing when they were, like, Thinking about how, like, nothing was secured and people could just go in and out and stuff like that. But it's like they weren't there. They don't know if people were just going in and out. They don't know if it was ever taped off. They were being interviewed somewhere else. So mm-hmm. just, again, playing devil's advocate, we'll see later on that there were many faults on the sheriff's department's yeah. side. I, I can say I've only used crime scene tape twice. Ever. Really? Yeah. Huh. Just saying. I mean, I feel like also, knock on wood, we don't deal with a lot of murders here. No. Maybe attempted. <laughs> I'm yeah, just kidding. That yeah, that's the only time I've used it on one dead body call, and it was because it was in like a very public place, mm-hmm. and we didn't want everybody like right. seeing it. Um, if it's like an apartment building, I can see that if you don't want people like walking through the hallway or something where something's happening. Yeah. but I think it really depends on Even the circumstances. Even then, you can shut that door and have the place to yourself. Like, right. 
See, it really depends on circumstances. I think people I think get people, this idea of like yes. CSI, like tape oh, on everything. Tape everything. We tape every, all the every door, every window. Right. But you so, but on top of that, things that they that we can't really dispute is that evidence was left behind. Oh, that's the problem. Pretty big evidence, such as um, a shotgun shell that was in the baby's crib. <laughs> Um, the green blood-soaked comforter that Candace was wrapped in, the uh, a computer monitor that was stained with blood, the speaker that was stained with blood that was they cropping just open left the bed. All of that in the house. Just wait, even more. Bloody towels that were outside of the home that Dolores thought was used by the killer, and the blood-stained shirt that Candace was wearing that day. Um, yeah, that's just among some of the things that I found that was left behind. Yeah. So, according to Dolores, the deputies only took 15 items from the home as evidence, and this included things like a small piece of carpet, car- carpet, not carpet, um, and a piece of paneling. So, I think they should have ripped up the whole carpet if they were going to take a piece of carpet, because she had drag marks. There were pools of blood everywhere. What are you going to get from that, though? I don't know. I'm not a CSI. That's the I'm thing, is like... The other side of that coin is, like, you think that people take every single thing that might have been involved with that crime, but, like, I, you don't. But here's my thought process, though. If they the, found the gun, the, t- the shell, yes. Right? But if they found a bloody towel, and they're not sure, if there's more than one source of blood on there, if it's yeah. from one of the suspects, and they just took one piece of paneling, like, it's hard to say that the pool of blood in the house was just Candace's if they think that a towel was used by a suspect. Right. Or, like, the blanket could have hairs or, you right. know, things like that. Yeah. It, when it comes down to it, if you think it's a murder, you treat that differently than if you think it's natural or you think it's suicide. Or gotcha. So, like, on a suicide, let's say somebody, you know... Shot themselves. In bed, right? Yeah. We're not gonna... Uh, we don't take anything that they were on. So, like, if they're on a bunch of comforters and they get super yucky, bloody, yeah. we don't yeah. take that. We tell the people how to dispose of it, but... Ew. But I couldn't we, even imagine. Yeah, but, like, there's no reason... Mm-hmm. But in this case, I disagree with what they did. Yeah, right? I really like this topic, or at least this particular situation, because... There's so much debate that can go back and forth. So yeah. I'm glad that you're already debating with me because there's so much more <laughs> that's going to keep coming. Yay. Um, anyways, so... Is I'm a cop? Not only because okay. you're a cop, but I think, like, in general, like, to, like, see what's going on and, like, hear about it, it's just... This is bizarre. It's just bizarre. It's yeah. weird. I have a lot of theories, and I sure. want to... I just want... I like the conversation we're having so far, and I hope that it continues because this is crazy. Sweet. And that's why I'm so eager about this episode. I was like, can we record? Can we record? Can we record? Because, like, me keeping all of this inside of me for, like, the last few weeks has been so hard. Um, so... When they were allowed back into the house again, Dolores took it upon herself to log the evidence, basically. Um, Her son, Jonathan, who I just talked about, had taken a forensic class and assisted her to log and photograph the evidence that was left behind. So they were, like, taking extra measures of, like, this is where I found it. I'm going to put it in this plastic bag and I'm going to label it and this and that. So they definitely went the extra mile. Um... Dolores went to the sheriff's department to, like, talk to them and be like, hey, you guys left things, like, I've got it ready, like, do you want me to bring it here? What do you want to do? But apparently nobody came to talk to her. Um, But according to True Crime Garage, a deputy did talk to her, but it was somebody that was, like, 
new or inexperienced or something and was kind of like, um, I don't know, do whatever you want with it. And Dolores is like, I'm, I'm like, not going to do that. I don't think that's right. She's like, right. I'm no cop, but. Yeah. So later, I don't know if it was later that right. day. <laughs> right. I don't Dolores. know if it was later that day, but Deputy Briscoe ended up going to their home with a search warrant and took the evidence, um, which I think is weird. I know that you've explained this to me before, so I hope that you explain it to everybody, too. I think it's weird that they have a search warrant for this, but please explain to the audience. It gives you more pegs to hang your hat on, Mm -hmm. right? So she's essentially by saying, here's all this evidence, please take it. That's a very unconventional way to get evidence, right? So Mm -hmm. they're going to want to go to the house, get it there. By getting a search warrant, you have that peg to hang your hat on in case the consent part, which is pretty much implied, um, falls through or something weird happens in court. Uh, You know, there's a lot of, with a case this big, um, you really want to be careful about taking fruit from the poisonous tree. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, so if they come up with any issues regarding, like, how they got their evidence or, like, the fact that they missed it the first time. Yeah. This is, like, giving them multiple, like, we'll do that. Yeah. I took an arrestee the other night who asked me if he could, it was a big detective case, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I was literally just there to be, like, a glorified taxi. But he said, hey, can I get this notebook from my truck it's got all this it's got all these uh phone numbers in it mm-hmm. and the detective said no we cannot touch your truck mm-hmm. for you you're in custody you can't go in there we can't touch your truck without a search warrant yeah they could because it's his truck and you guys had and he the... asked so he's giving consent but they're like nope we're not doing that so it's just kind of like to cover your ass just yeah. in case it does go to court totally. and like just to make sure that like 100 percent. okay i get it um I like that they did that because this uh, shows something that they did right in the investigation to try to cover themselves and make sure they were doing things correctly. Right. But the fact that they had to go back and get, especially such yes. significant evidence, such as the blanket she was wrapped in, like everything else, like I can understand, like maybe yeah. missing a shotgun shell, like especially if it was buried in the blankets and if the baby was still there, I doubt the baby would still be there. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like some things I can understand. Like but overlooking. something that is literally like she's wrapped in and yeah. it's covered in blood. That's a problem. Yeah, totally. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it on your opinions after what I say, um, the sheriff's department or whoever was investigating this, detectives, I don't know, do deputies have detectives that would make sense it's Mm -hmm. basically the same kind Mm -hmm. of setup huh um so they pin a little person of interest on james because of his prior run-ins with the sheriff's department he is kind of a bit of a record um and because uh he's close to candace like like everybody um if you've watched any kind of show the first person of interest is always someone who's close to you because i think there's a large percentage of crimes that are committed by people that you know 100 yeah so i don't blame them from pointing or looking at james as a person of interest um but people think that they he they it was unfair no i think it was more that they thought that they he they jumped on it too fast oh. they were like oh james is our guy and that's problem what solved. We're going with. Yeah. Um, so, with that being said, they started to search the woods in the Copper Gulch area and Deer Mountain area. That means nothing to me. 
I've lived there county. for 19 years. <laughs> I lived in the county. I think I lived on, like, a different side of town as to what okay. they're talking about, though, because my side of county was, like, desert. Um, so, again, <laughs> Colorado's like, weird. It is such a weird environment. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's so cool, though, that you can go, like, one step into a different direction and have a completely yeah. different ecosystem. Anyways, um, but I don't really know that side of it the town that well i guess i'm just kind of imagining that it's like southwestern area of canyon city um but i'm sure that's a place that james frequented and i'm sure that's the area of where the house was at so they have a pretty good idea of where to search um canyon city is pretty small while searching the woods they were looking for evidence or clues or just like anything and that's when they found jackson do you remember jackson she's our little dog oh yeah um his brother killing animals i don't know per se um basically they found jackson tied to a tree with what looked like apparently like hatchet or axe wounds and she was she was dead unfortunately and so that the sheriff's department was kind of like weirded out about that yeah um i'll get into some theories about the dog here in a second but i just wanted to mention that that's where they found the dog um actually i'll get into the theories right now apparently uh people believed that jackson might have been taken and killed to taunt the family um i don't know exactly why that would have been obviously i didn't kill the dog but um maybe uh, because candace rubbed somebody the wrong way or maybe somebody else in the family rubbed somebody the wrong way and they decided to get back at them was the dog um Others believed that it was a pre-plan for the killer um, so that the dog didn't alert anybody um, if they were intruding. And I feel like we've talked about this. fucked up way to do it. I know, right? But we've talked about this in a previous episode with Xavier Dupont de Lagones. Yeah. Yeah, where they, like, if you the have dog a dog guy. and somebody knocks on the door, it's going to bark. Oh my or God. if somebody comes we close. We drive up like to the house and you can hear the dog while mm-hmm. you're still in the car i wonder if they can understand the different types of vehicles though so i wonder if they're like oh that's mom's truck 10 out of 10 because you talk about how they cry when mm-hmm. i'm in the in the driveway after work yep 100 percent. they cry because they know it's their favorite yeah. mom <laughs> anyways <laughs> when it's just me they're <laughs> <laughs> anyways so people have theories about that um Anyways, to get back That's to... That's a fucked up way to do it. Super fucked up. You don't kill a fucking animal that can't fucking defend itself. If you're going to... If you absolutely have to, like, make it the least painful way. Don't tie it to a tree and axe it to death. That's mm-hmm. weird. Nope. Nope. That's nope, graphic. Nope, nope. Yep. Um. So, while they're searching for all of this, I'm going to backtrack a little bit to um, when Dolores was being... Um, questioned. So deputies were asking her where James was and if he could have been with any co-workers or friends. I don't know what he did for work. Uh, I can't imagine it was anything crazy. I honestly find it hard to believe that he would um, be able to keep a job, especially one that interacted with the public given his mental issues. Um, Just saying that. I'm not sure. I don't know him. That's just my opinion. But um, Dolores was like, what are you talking about? He wouldn't be with people because he has issues being around us. Like, people that he, he knows. Even like his family. So. Right. So, um, and she also explained, um, Dolores also explained that James had no history of violence or violent crimes. Um, like, yes, he has some trespass. He has some burglaries. But, like, nothing of violent natures. Um, but doesn't always 
hold because some people can escalate, as we all know. Mm. But that's fine if that's what she believes and she has her right to believe that. Um, Also states that James was in and out of the Colorado Mental Health Institute that was in Pueblo, Colorado, which is like 30 minutes away. Um, Pretty close. She also told deputies that he didn't own or have access to any firearms. Um, But again, I kind of... I don't know of. Yeah, I was just like, a lot of people think they don't have firearms. um, But if he is so paranoid like you believe he is or has this phobia, maybe he wants to defend himself if he does think that somebody's trying to harm Mm -hmm. him or whatever he believes or whatever his fear of people is. And also he lived out in the woods behind your house so how do you know what he has or what he doesn't have? Um, But I'll get into that a lot later. Um, Deputies didn't really seem to care about what Dolores had to say. Um, They questioned her for four hours. All just about James. Didn't really ever deviate from anything else other than Mm. Where's your son? What is he doing? Who does he hang out with? Right. At least from what I could find. Um, this is also where um, Dolores learns, probably from being questioned about him so much, that James is looked at as a suspect. No way. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> um, so the sheriff's department issued a public statement that they were looking for James and that he could be possibly armed with at least two guns. Um, which, again, they really have no evidence of that except for the fact that Candace was killed by a gun or two or three or whoever many um 600 i'm just kidding so they really have lack of evidence to exactly point it to james but i understand them cautioning the public that he might be armed with weapons if they suspect that he did do this because obviously he if he if what they believe is true he did have weapons at some time to kill his sister Mm -hmm. um so i mean like i understand but at the same time it's like i don't know i don't know i'm not a cop what do you think? It's, I don't know if we at this point know everything that they knew at that time. That's true because officers, especially since this is really funny we're talking about this because tomorrow my other podcast is going to be talking about this. <laughs> Detectives don't always release information that they have because they have to keep a lot of evidence like lock and key because that if they lose that then they lose anything they can use to tie it to one particular person which is very unfortunate that a lot of people don't understand that right and thing is even after a crime is solved or supposedly solved or closed like that information does not automatically become like public record Mm -hmm. like that's not a thing Mm -hmm. um so i don't it i don't know that feels like if they're willing to put that statement out... They have something. Yes. Mm-hmm. That would not be I a agree. blind statement because the the issue with doing that is, let's say that somebody... It's a small town. Somebody sees him at a King Supers at a store. City market. At a city market. We had a city market, too. <laughs> yeah, okay, so market. I was at a Kroger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they've heard that statement. Like, that can... Imagine what would happen if somebody saw that... Called 911 and said, oh my gosh, this guy is here. What if he has guns? I think he probably has guns in the store. He has his hands in his pockets. I can't see his hands. I don't know what's in his pockets. Yes. That could cause a lot of shit. Yes. So, my hope is that if they're willing to put out a statement like that, which is very bold, not just saying that he has one weapon, saying he could probably have... At least has two. Yeah. That tells me, hopefully... That they have something to back that up with. Yeah. I agree, but also I can see the other side of things where, 
the public doesn't quite understand. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, so they, um, three days after Candace's murder, which is August 18th, they find James. He was arrested and in his possession, he was found with a knife. And I mean, that makes sense, especially if he's living off the woods. I mean, I have a knife in my purse at all times just because self-protection, whatever. Um, So I don't think that's weird at all that he had a knife in his possession. Despite their claims that or suspicions that James had killed Candace, he to this day has not been charged with it. Probably due to maybe lack of evidence or I'm not really sure. sure. I'm not the sheriff's department. Um, but they did charge him with what they were looking for a few days ago and why they came to Candace's house originally, which was first and second degree theft and trespassing. Um, apparently, James had broken into a house and stole hatchets and flashlights, hmm. which I would think would be burglary. It is. Okay. I don't know if there's Colorado. different... I don't, I don't know if my source just had the charges incorrect. It So, like, people will say different things depending on what state they're in, and they'll mm-hmm. change it to, like, like people say breaking and entering, and entering like you did right. earlier. That's not a thing here. It's Berg. I just said that because that's what True Crime Garage exactly. was calling it. And I was that's like, I'm what I mean. pretty so sure So people will take whatever their home statute, mm-hmm. like, terminology is, and they'll bring it yeah. into, just like if I were to do a different case, and it was, like, trespassing and theft, I would call it Berg. Yeah. So. so I'm I'm not sure it's if Berg. his yeah, I think that the charges that I had found was incorrect or uninformed. Technically, it is trespassing and theft and theft in the two of those combined in the state make of Colorado. Burglary. Make burg. Okay. Yeah. So Perfect. It's not wrong. Cool. I was like that doesn't sound right cuz I put in parentheses Berg? Yes. Um, so James was held on those charges with a $500,000 bond. So they're really holding him on the other one. They're really holding him. Yeah. Um, and he was held at the Fremont County Jail. However, on these charges, James was found not guilty um, by reason of insanity. And oh. he was sent to Colorado Mental Health Institute in Pueblo to have his, sure. like whatever sure, the sure, sentencing sure, sure. was, seen through. So, let's back up a little bit to her autopsy, because I think this is where things really get interesting. Um, So, the autopsy shows that Candace had been shot by three different guns. Um, Which is why. mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So, one of them is a shotgun, a medium caliber handgun, and a small caliber handgun. Um, According to the autopsy, she was apparently shot a total of seven times. This is getting a little confusing. I had to listen to this several times and read this several times before I understood this. Okay. So please, if this isn't making sense, I will be more than happy to elaborate. Six bullets were found in her head, presumably all from one shotgun blast. Okay, so shotgun shell. Shotgun shell. So, like, there's six of those shell, like, like things in there. I don't know the the exact term. Yeah, pellets. There you go. Um, once in the chest from a medium caliber gun and five times in the back with a small caliber gun. So that's the one shotgun blast. Okay. One chest. So that's two shots. And then the five in the back, meaning the total of seven okay. shots. Um, so with all of that, three different weapons assumingly being used, there were at least according to the autopsy, two assailants. 
given that she had wounds to the front of her body and the back, and they came from a downward angle from back to front and left to right. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah. Okay. So I kind of agree with the autopsy here that it'd be difficult for one person to do this with three different guns. I can see somebody handling two guns at the same time, but a shotgun and a handgun at the same time. Was the shotgun to the front or the back? To the back. Okay. Um, but I also agree with the fact that it could have also been one assailant. And I'll tell you that in just a second. But here we're going to go with the two assailant theory. Um, it's not... Uh, never mind. We're not going to go with the two assailant theory. It's not impossible for one person to do it because some sources... I couldn't find the autopsy myself, but some sources stated that the autopsy couldn't tell in which order or when exactly the shots were fired. I feel like you would go back to front. Yeah. Yeah, so you do the five in the back, one in the head, kind of switch like an to execution the other. style. Yep, and she's, let's say she's like on her knees. Yeah. Pop in the front. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, and also the autopsy couldn't tell if she was shot at close range or not. Oh, that's weird. Which seems super weird, because a shotgun blast, I think you would be able to really tell, like... All of them, you can usually tell. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if this was just mm. poor autopsy that was done yeah. or what, but that's what the information was given. Um, the autopsy ended up being an 11-page report, and Dolores disputes some of its findings, um, one of those being which she believes that only two guns were used, not three. Um she believes this because they didn't take some of the evidence and um fair yeah so some of the casings i didn't <laughs> like mention one shotgun shell but i forgot to mention this <laughs> earlier that she um she found a shotgun shell and then also apparently a 22 caliber casing so just because she found those two casings she believes that it was only two I guns that were used i feel like you would scour that house mm -hmm. i don't know um but she also disputed the autopsy basically gave a scenario as to what happened. And that scenario was that Candace's boyfriend. Just hold on. The hold on tight. Okay. Hold on tight. This is a rough ride. <laughs> Candace's boyfriend goes to the house and finds Paige alone, takes Paige, goes to his wife, and leaves Paige there, goes back to the house and finds Candace's body, calls 911. Boyfriend. Boyfriend that has a wife. Was there a 911 call? Okay. Uh, I See mean, faces. <laughs> here's the thing. I, I probably put this in later, but that's I can talk about it now. I couldn't... According to my sources, the 911 call is not public. It has not been released. No one has access to it. So I have no idea who actually called this in, if it was Dolores or what. But Dolores is clearly disputing this because she's like, I'm the one that found Candace. Yeah. I'm the one that called 911. Like, also, I feel like it's incredibly inappropriate for um, like an autopsy to pose a theory like that. Right. But again, I don't know if it's a theory because this, you'll see later on, this turns into a game of he said, she said, especially when it comes to Dolores, which he I can't said, blame her. said, like what? Right. I can't blame her because she is trying to fight for her yeah. 
daughter yeah. and her life and her justice. So I cannot, she is not at all shying down from what she thinks happened, which is great. But unfortunately, she starts to contradict herself. Oh, no. Yeah, which we'll see here in a little bit. And I don't know if it's like what we talked about during Zavia, if it's like a false memory or like sure. some of those things, which I mean, I'm sure at one point I've contradicted myself a million times. You know what I mean? So it yeah. happens to all of us. But in this kind of like spotlight, it does not look good. Anyways, um, she also disputes from the autopsy that Candace doesn't even have a boyfriend. She's a single mom who's going to school. Like, she doesn't have time for that. Like, that's the least of her concerns. But again, Candace is a 17-year-old girl. Like, if she had some spare time to hang out with friends, maybe she had a boyfriend that her mom wasn't aware of. I don't know. But the autopsy... When they're I'm, aware of a secret boyfriend but that my, makes no my sense. thought is is if somehow the autopsy got information that the boyfriend did indeed was the one that called 911 i don't know if it was Why in a police report that i don't know i don't know it's i don't know weird. if they got that information from a police report i don't know if the police report yeah. was wrong i don't know if people are just saying that to cover their asses um weird yeah so there's like already a lot of weird shit about just one little thing so just wait it gets worse great um also dolores believes that they're getting this confused with a neighbor's son's friend whom she had asked to check on the house because she had a bad feeling while she was out running her errands so she called her neighbor's son to go over to the house but that's it he doesn't like go inside or anything so that's weird also like this unidentified son is not named like nothing else is given other than dolores is saying that they're getting confused with this statement that she did Hmm. so i don't know but it's already weird so then five months after candace's death in january of 2007 dolores files a complaint to the colorado uh, attorney general's office due to um her believing the case wasn't handled correctly and she includes that law enforcement could have been included with candace's death like her theory about that um she isn't pinning it on one particular deputy but she is saying that the whole law enforcement did not handle anything correctly and by doing that she uses her proof of photos of evidence not being taken and things that were left behind so as of today i can't find anything that showed her going to the attorney general's office did anything really so at least she tried then um dolores at the same time was also fighting for candace's autopsy to go public which it finally does years later um which reveals to the public like all the shocking shit that i just told you about and according to true crime garage dolores stated that she would go to the public defender's office frequently to look at the 2000 page report which included the 11 page autopsy and i personally believe that that's why she wanted to go public with it because she's like i've seen this i've read it it's not correct everybody needs to know what a shit job you guys have done whatever she wanted to kind of like put a spotlight on that but um nothing really happens it goes cold cold Hmm. case um but then let's fast forward to december 2016 we meet a man named rick ratzlaff 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 i'm gonna call him ricky just kidding i'm calling him rick um rick buys a storage unit out of auction there in canyon city the storage unit used to be rented by do you want to guess uh deputy dunn dodd Dodd. very close though deputy dodd yes it was rented by deputy dodd and um this unit went to auction because dodd failed to pay his rental fees yeah so 
That's cool. When Rick opens the storage, I'm sure he expected to see something worth thousands of dollars that he could sell, but instead he finds things like an old uniform that has Deputy Dodd's name on it, police sirens, lights. Hold on. Wait for it. There's more. He also finds things more suspicious, and in a quote to KKTV in Colorado Springs, he says, quote, First, I didn't think it was that big until I pulled out shell casings. Oh, no. A hatchet. Oh, no. And what really faced me was I pulled out bloody clothes. Oh, no. End quote. Oh. I know. No. So then there was also a blanket, which um, this is where I'm going to really go back and forth between what Dolores claims and what... Yeah. I have found in my resource. Um, Dolores claims that this blanket was the one that Candace was wrapped in, the blanket that she found after police left and she handed it back over to them. Um, also, there were some bloody socks in this unit, and Dolores believes that these were the socks that Candace was wearing when she died, and they were taken off before her autopsy, obviously. Um, the hatchet... Which, according to True Crime Garage, looked like one... I couldn't find a picture of it, so I don't know how they got this visual, but it's, like, one that you would throw. So, pretty light hatchet. Yeah. Like, nothing that's really going to do anything heavy-duty. Sure. Um, and I trust those dudes. They seem like dudes that would know their way around a hatchet. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yes. But Dolores also recognizes this hatchet because she says it's one that they would have outside, like, near their pile of wood. Um, and she thinks that it's one that was used to kill Jackson the dog which according hmm. to the guys at true crime garage if they think that it's like a throwing axe i find it hard to believe that they would keep it like in their near their wood pile because that makes it seem like that's what they're using to cut wood with right and that doesn't seem like something i would want an axe to cut wood especially like if you're using it for firewood you're gonna need to cut in mass quantities like you need an axe not a little hatchet but yeah. what do i know i've never had to cut my wood except for camping so um then they also find a rope which dolores thinks is the one that was used to tie jackson to the tree and then a box of paperwork from the fremont county sheriff's department so a lot of things um mainly according to my reddit sources rick also had negative encounters with law enforcement before so when he called in to report these items rick's wife was also there and recorded the encounter not sure what the recordings have on them or anything like that. I couldn't find them anywhere. So I don't know if this is just gossip or what, but I think it's very right. interesting to think about. Um, so that's where Rick met um, Sheriff Jim Biker and another deputy at the storage unit. And they took the evidence per CBI, which is Colorado Bureau of Investigations. Because at this point, the Sheriff's Department is like, this is now an investigation on our own officer because there's evidence that has clearly been mishandled. We cannot investigate this ourselves because that is yeah. illegal. Yep. So they have to bring out an outside source. Yep. So they go for CBI. Um, the sheriff confirms that himself and the other deputy with him, which is Commander Jeff Worley, went to that location uh, for the storage unit to meet Rick on December 30th. Um, again, they called CBI because of the internal investigation, and per um, Sheriff Biker's statement, they photographed and cataloged everything in the unit and secured the items as consulted to do so by CBI. I believe that because everything was kind of happening right then, they were kind of, I don't know for sure, but this is my opinion, that CBI was like, you need, we're going to walk you through what to do. 
If CBI can't get there, yeah, right exactly. Away, so sure. it's like we can't get there right away. We clearly need yeah. to get this under some kind of like controlled environment. Right. So we're gonna walk you through what to do and what we want you to do with it, and I want you to do exactly that with it. You know this what I mean? This is why we have body cams now. Right. Yeah. Hundred exactly. percent. So all of that that was found in the storage unit was moved to the Fremont County Fremont County Sheriff's Department for um, evidence. On that same day, oh no, correction, on January 30th, so a month later, um, Colorado Bureau of Investigation, I can't talk. CBI. CBI sent out two agents to meet with the sheriff and finally took the evidence. Um, CBI confirmed that they would look into how these items got there. It is also reported that when law enforcement showed up, um, again, this is by some of my Reddit sources, that Rick was told to, quote, keep quiet about the situation. So, I mean, I kind of get it because it's kind of, it's like embarrassing. It's like, oh my gosh, we fucked up. But again, yeah. like, own it. Say, we fucked up. We're leaking into it. Like, yeah. if you own it, it's not going to look as shady. But the yep. fact that they possibly try to cover it up makes totally. it even shadier. Yep. Um, but almost immediately after finding the evidence, Deputy Dodd was put on administrative leave. It was paid um, in January of 2017. And then he retired late April of the same year. So. Hmm. Yeah. Um, interesting timing. Right. Very interesting timing. Dodd claims, especially later on in uh, trials and court hearings, he states that he forgot that those items were in there and um, that's why they weren't documented or reported. So I think what he's Whoops. trying to claim is that when he went to pick it up from Candace's house to pick it up from the parents or from, I'm sorry, from Dolores, um, he must have made a quick pick stop pick stop pit yeah. stop at his storage unit and was like well i'm just gonna set these down for a second and muddle in my storage unit for a second Ugh. and then leave and then forgot about them here's the thing <laughs> that's one, step one of what you don't do step one if you of have what evidence. you don't do especially if you have evidence of murder mm-hmm. just go to the police department mm-hmm. drop it off and then go do whatever else business you have going on. But right. if you have that stuff in your car, it's like whenever we get, like, drug paraphernalia, things like that. I don't want that in my car anymore. If you have to go from point A to point B. I want to go straight to the police department, get rid of it. Yeah. Put it into evidence, be done. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I believe that... I'm not sure if it was before or after the trial. I found both sources. Dodd eventually just moves to Texas. <laughs> So, yeah, the family is extremely upset over this because they were like, this whole time, this evidence that you were supposed to use to help solve my daughter's murder is been in a unit and you've done nothing with it and it's been contaminated. It is useless yeah. in court now. Yep. That oh, sucks. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So it's like the things that could have really been helpful are just gone. Yep. Um. So... In the summer of 2018, Dodd was found guilty by a jury of four women and two men who deliberated for two and a half hours on the misdemeanor charge of public abuse of records and two petty offense charges of official misconduct. He, I know, I saw that eye roll, it's fine. He was charged with four different counts, but only found guilty on those three I just listed. The fourth was criminal possession of an identification document, which I think he also should have been charged with 
but that's fine. Um, just to make everybody a little angrier, he was sentenced to 15 days in jail, um, $1,000 in court fines, and a $399 in restitution. Um, wow. Yeah. He actually, fun fact, I'm so glad I'm doing this updated. He didn't serve any time until he finally exhausted all of his appeals. What the hell? By February of 2020. It's 15 days, dude. Yeah. He stretch this thing out how many years uh two years oh my god you could have been done yeah just imagine how many like court fees that the that has been taxpayers money that he's been appealing yeah so ultimately lost yeah he lost oh my god he lost all of it but um yeah it's february of 2020 i'm hoping he's at least served 15 days by now (laughs) um according to koa koaa.com dodd's lawyer wanted God, this just kills me. Wanted Dodd to serve his time at home, and thankfully the judge denied that. Um, yeah. Which is apparently, like, the only good thing about this. Like, I want to go to jail, but I don't want to go to jail. I mean, I can understand, like, being an officer and being it's like, I'm going to be in jail with the people that I put away. Good. Yeah, but, like, if you're an Fuck officer you. that's being put in jail, there's good. something extremely wrong with this picture. Yes. So, yeah. Anyways, um... According to the district attorney for Colorado's 11th Judicial District, her name is Caitlin Turner, the minimum sentence for charges against Dodd is 180 days in jail. The minimum. And I don't know if you remember, but he did 15. Anyways, um, but the previous judge shortened that for him. Um, Turner also stated that in late February of 2020 in an article by KOAA.com, the investigation into Candace's death is still ongoing, and she personally wants to bring the case to prosecution when they have enough evidence. So I'm glad that somebody is at least still, like, really passionate about this. Um, Another district attorney, Molly Chilson, during the closing statements of the trial, um, she accused Dodd of, quote, cooking the books, end quote. And said that after he was made aware of the discovery, Dodd didn't call the sheriff, but he tried to fix the pickle he was in by covering it up with a secret. Wait, no. Correction. Covering it up and keeping it a secret. Okay. So he basically went through any, like, statements that he previously had and, like, changed them. Mm. Yeah. Um... So, um, Molly Chilson also stated to the Canyon City Daily Record in 2018 that, quote, that's what he did when he went into the archives and doctored his report and later suggested the items were trash and that, um, the evidence custodian named Harry Sharp wouldn't let him enter it as evidence, end quote. Like, that doesn't make any sense why an evidence tech would say, "Mm, I don't want this bloody anything no not how how that works nope 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 but that's basically all that i know about dodd he's in texas now i'm assuming he served out his sentence um so there's other suspects i very briefly want to talk about um i literally went into over 10 different sources and found nothing about other suspects besides law enforcement being a suspect and james being a suspect and then um Dodd, essentially. But there was uh, a couple of articles from the Canyon City Daily Record published January, or correction, June 28th of 2018, where Dolores is quoted to state that um, law enforcement should have looked into a Heath Hyman who lived on the land in the area and two other people who were unnamed who could have been suspects. Um, Which I think is weird 
when I started to Google Heath Hyman and Canyon City and Candace Hilt's murder and all these things, um, I found more articles where Dee spoke about him. Um, sorry, Dolores spoke about him, but there's really nothing that I could find that linked him to Candace. She just states that they found evidence that Heath was around the area near the time that Candace was murdered. Mm -hmm. And, um, Heath was arrested in April of 2007 for wildlife violations. So I'm assuming he was maybe hunting without a license or something like that. Um, uh, D- Division of Wildlife actually found Heath's campground, which was from Grape Creek, which was also in the area. Um, so that's basically their evidence that he was in the area at the time of Candace's death. Hmm. But um, so she goes as far as to say that she's sure that Dodd collected all of this information and it was left out of the reports and stuff like that. But, I mean, just because I'm in the area of Walmart, when somebody happens to steal a car, does that mean that I'm instantly looked as a suspect? No. I don't know what evidence she has to prove this, because I couldn't really find anything besides her stating that he was in the area. And then Dolores has also stated to be throwing uh, other suspects out there as a couple of girls. Okay. Unnamed girls. What the fuck? But just a couple of girls, two or three, she doesn't really know, or it's not really clarified in her statements, that they're also unnamed, that these girls were jealous of Candace and basically, I guess, wanted to kill her because of jealousy, which, I mean, we do know of a lot of cases where women kill out of jealousy. I'm not going to say that's not something that could possibly happen, but I'm just saying without any prior... Yeah. Anything... Just saying two girls, like, that's not... Yeah, Incredible. it's just not Sorry. a lot to hold on, yeah. that I think. Um, no. So we're going to really delve into a lot of Dolores' theories. And Dolores has a lot. Okay. Um, and then we'll talk about other theories and what I think. So according to True Crime Garage, Candace's mom, um, she believes... Basically, we're going to go into like what she thinks step-by-step step has happened to her daughter. Um, she believes that there are at least two gun people. Um, gun people. I don't want to say gunmen. Especially okay. because it's like, it might be a woman, might be two sure, women, sure, might sure, be sure, sure, sure. one Could or be the two other. two girls. Yeah. Random girls. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, two gun people. Sure. <laughs> um, she believes that her daughter was shot simultaneously from two directions and was apparently dead before she hit the floor. <laughs> Though this isn't supported because, again, the autopsy couldn't tell or didn't really want to tell um, what order the shots were shot in and when. Um, Dolores also goes against the autopsy, stating that Candace had two shotgun wounds, one to the back of her head and one to the back left of her head, as well as eight to ten twenty-two caliber gunshot wounds to her left side. The autopsy says that she was shot five times in her back. So there's a lot of differences here. Um, so what I'm thinking is that she is basically that, like, dude that ballistic dude who did jfk stuff yeah yeah like she knows her shit just by looking at her body you know sure. so does she though i don't know i'm just being a dickhole right now um i mean i can't imagine like me personally even if i knew guns or if i was a, like just looking at someone's body i don't think i'd be able to tell exactly how many shots were shot unless i did it myself even then you can't keep track of shots if you're in the heat of the moment anyways right um, and uh, to think that the shots would happen simultaneously, so somebody's standing in front of her, somebody's standing behind her. Crossfire. Why didn't those people get hit 
Yeah. Yeah. Crossfire. And that's um one theory that True Crime Garage also talks about. And I really thought that it was interesting that they were like, if it was if they believe law enforcement was involved and law enforcement like went out there and like uh, killed her, they law enforcement is a hundred percent trained, especially if they're good to officers. Not do that. The basic minimum is like when you're clearing a house, you are go in different directions you're like back to back or like i don't know what's going on but you're basically like shoulder to shoulder with that person you're never once like face to face clearing a house or even anything like that you wouldn't use those lower caliber weapons either right you guys have like nine mils yeah and a lot of agencies do like 45s too yeah you don't go below a nine mil yeah so so that's definitely one thing yeah right anyways so on top of ballistics, um, Dolores is also a crime scene analyst as well as a forensic scientist, scientist, because she states that when they were dragging Candace's body down the hall, she believes that Candace had a death tremor, and that caused the wavy blood spatter thing that was on the doorway from her head wounds because she thinks that she was having a death tremor and all of that, and that's what she believes. Um, <laughs> she. Sorry, it's not funny. She thinks that the shooter or shooters must have thought that Candace was still alive and shot her one more time in the chest with the shotgun. But that, again, doesn't match, match the autopsy that no. says that she had one shot to the chest. And it wasn't with a shotgun. Right. Okay. It was with a medium caliber. Yeah. Okay. Um, though, also, she mentions that she somehow believes that the chest wound is an after-death shot. So she thinks that everything happened to the back of Candace. So according to her, the two shotgun shots in the head, which is the back of the head and the left of the head, and then the eight to ten shots on her left side, she thinks that all of those happened at once. And then after Candace was dead, then she got the shot to the chest. Hmm. Which, again, the autopsy doesn't... Date that because I think you'd be able to tell which shots were after or yeah. during yep. livingness. Um, though Dolores points a lot of the blame to law enforcement, she doesn't come out and specifically blame them for um, her daughter's murder so much after a few years into the case. It's more of the mishandling of evidence and sure. the mishandling of the case. Yeah. Um, so According to, again, True Crime Garage, there was one instance where Dolores stated that she believed it might have been, a couple, like I said, a couple of girls um, because they were jealous of her, which this kind of, I think this is a little bit better of a theory than law enforcement because Dolores states that officers would be aware of death tremors and, like, not shoot somebody after that. I don't even know what a death tremor is. Is that like when you poop your pants after you die? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I've no, never heard of this before. No, so there's still like electrical impulses that go through your body after you. So it's kind of like a chicken with their head cut off. Yeah, yeah, huh. a little bit. Um, my grandma who used to do makeup in a um funeral home, she said Ooh. sometimes the bodies would straight up sit all the way up. <gasps> no. Yeah, and it's, that it's is nothing... the creepiest <laughs> shit. Oh my god. No. It's nothing like paranormal. It's literally just electrical impulses that control every single thing that happens in your body mm-hmm. right they don't just go away when you die yeah so well that's interesting um so she thought that law enforcement would be aware of that and somebody 
who was less Tell me that experienced. You out. No, totally Regardless would. Regardless, especially of like, if I just murdered somebody, I'd be like, "Oh fuck, I thought you were dead." Ah. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Some John List stuff right there. Oh, right. Jesus yeah. Christ. I'm surprised he didn't. <laughs> Never mind. I was gonna say when officers found the family, if they were like sitting up oh in my rigor mortis instead oh of laying down, would that be creepy? I've seen that once and it was super creepy. Oh yeah. Ooh, you've told me about that. It's I don't like super, it. Super super creepy. Don't like it. Anyways, um, so Dolores just thinks that someone less experienced than officers like these girls would have just impulsively shot and not really thought about it with a gun that was not. Yeah, obviously. And again, Dolores' theory about this Heath guy, she doesn't really go more in depth about that, at least nothing that I could find, and I, yeah, didn't find anything else. Um, Other theories state that it was the father of Paige, so... um, Baby daddy. Baby daddy. But there's literally nothing I could find on him. Not a name, not anything. So who knows if he even knew he was the dad. Maybe Candace found out she was pregnant. Didn't Yeah, didn't want to be involved with that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the situ- situation, I don't know the circumstances, I don't I don't know. But there's nothing I could find that he was even aware he had a kid or anything like that. There's just a lack of evidence of proving that. Yeah. But there's the theories that people think that he was like, give me my kid bag, I want my kid, and got into a fight and then ended up shooting her a hundred times. Um, so let's talk about the very popular theory of James. Like, law enforcement, and some believe James did kill his sister, but he wasn't alone doing it. Given the questioning that the Debbies did when talking to Dolores, they were very focused on, like, his friends and, like, who were his coworkers, who did he hang out with. So even in the beginning, they believed that he had somebody else with him. But the fact that James... This is according to Dolores. If James wanted to go into the Hilts family home, he could... He could totally do it. He didn't have a key to the house, though. So there was, like, a butter knife that they had hidden for him that he could use to, like, basically credit card the door open, you know? He only did this when he knew that nobody was home. Because, again, the fear or the paranoia of being around people. We go back to the evidence of when officers first got there when they state that one of the doors had been pried open. Why would he pry the door open if he had... If he knew she was home. Well, no, if he had the butter knife. Like, why would he need a crowbar to pry open the door if he had a means of getting in the house? But, again, I I don't know. Maybe he didn't realize that Candace was there. Maybe she was studying for school. I don't know. But also, given he might have possibly been in a manic state, I don't know what his mental health diagnosis is or anything like that. This is just working off of the small amount of information that I have. I am not a psychologist. But he might have been in a manic state. He didn't know his own mother. He didn't recognize his own mother. If possibly he he has this history of breaking into homes and stealing things, maybe he didn't recognize his own family home. But breaking into a, he thought he was breaking yeah. into a stranger's house. Gets caught up in something, sees mm-hmm. his sister, who he doesn't know is his sister because of his manic sure. state, and then Shoots accidentally her. kills kills her. It's a very possible theory, unfortunately. Um, so, I don't know. About that. But the charges that he had from the previous burglary that they were looking at him for were a stealing of a hatchet, which Mm. we know that the family dog was killed with a hatchet. So there's theories that possibly Jackson was killed by James unintentionally. Maybe he maybe Jackson was just making a lot of noise one night or something like that. And again, in a manic state. 
I don't know what he was capable of. Like, he might not have had violence, but maybe it started with the family dog. And he escalated very quickly. I don't don't know. I'm curious how he got into that particular home that he stole the hatchet in. Because if he did have a crowbar and pried that door open, then that would show some type of... Right. What is it called? M.O.? Yeah. But there's nothing in that, exactly. A lot of people... I'm not saying to do this. Please do this. If you have a gun, please register it if your state requires registration. Um, because a lot of people, or even if they don't require it, like register your guns. Because if they get stolen, or you don't know if they're stolen guns, um, like you can easily figure that out before yeah. you start. Like, right. If you lose a gun, have a serial number, have everything ready. Like, yep. but if you if it's a serial number that's already previously stolen, you're gonna get in trouble for that. Yep. So it's just good to be safe and like get to know what you're buying or what you have in your possession. But a lot of people didn't register their guns or perhaps they got them illegally themselves. Yep. Um, I'm not going to judge. Like, do whatever you want as long as you're not going around psycho-killing everybody, I guess. Yep. Yep. But especially in rural, rural... I can't say this word. Rural, rural areas. Rural juror. Go ahead. <laughs> especially in rural <laughs> areas. Um, because, I mean, I feel like a lot of smaller populations have a lot of paranoia when it comes to guns and their rights and stuff like that, which is fine. You can believe whatever you want but um a lot of people end up hoarding a lot of guns and perhaps that might be another reason why they don't report them as stolen if they do end up being stolen so if he has this history of breaking into homes we don't know for sure that he didn't steal any guns if these people by some chance didn't want to report them as stolen or didn't have the serial number to do so you know didn't have the right information Mm -hmm. um so we don't know if he did take those guns that he was used to kill candace because very quite easily he lived in the woods he could have ditched those guns anywhere yeah and i don't think the odds of them finding it yeah yeah like it took them even the family didn't even realize that their own dog was dead tied to a tree in the general area well and the cops didn't even find a shell in the house (laughs) right so are they gonna find a small caliber (laughs) handgun that's just tossed in the woods probably not yeah Especially if he was paranoid enough, he might have buried it. Mm-hmm. He might have done a lot of things. So there's nothing to say that he did not have any weapons like Dolores insisted. But yeah. I don't. again, I don't know James. I don't know the state of his mental health or anything like that. These are just some theories. Um, he also could have gotten the hatchet from the family home, which was, according to Dolores, just hanging out by the woodpile. But none of this was found in his possession. But again, he couldn't have just ditched it anywhere. Sure. Um, so there's this really interesting theory that True Crime Garage discusses, which I really want to know your opinion about, is that they don't believe this, but it's just really interesting to think about. It's like, what if the family was covering up for James and planted evidence? They planted that shotgun shell that they didn't find. It made it look like the cops did a bad job. Mm-hmm. So that any conclusion the cops came to seemed to lack credibility right yeah i mean i'm not saying that that's what happened but it's it's really dumb yeah (laughs) no it's not and especially like like, in the way of covering up things and like misleading things that's a very smart direction to go yeah but the thing that i think is very hard to believe that they planted evidence was the fact that the blanket that candace was wrapped in was left behind so like i there is some proof that the officers um sorry the deputies mishandled things were there photos of her in the blanket that they got on the scene or did mom take 
the blanket, hide it somewhere. Deputies didn't see it, and then she's like, well, what about this blanket? That is really interesting to think about. I didn't think about that, because, like, she found the body. Yeah, so she could have totally unwrapped her in the blanket. She could have done like, a number of things before she called mm-hmm. the police. Because, True. And it was an hour until they got True. there. True. So. Again, this kind of reminds me of John Bonet Ramsey. It's, yeah. Of, like, they had all night, yep. if this is what happened, they had all night to cover up and plan what they were going to do with John Bonet's body or plant yep. evidence or do whatever they wanted yep. to throw off the scent. Like, we don't know what happened in that hour that it took for deputies to get there. We don't know. That's a good hmm. that's a good theory, especially since like maybe she claims that she was wrapped in a bloody blanket, but if the deputies didn't find that, she could have literally grabbed any blanket and if they didn't take any evidence besides a little swatch in the carpet, she could have rubbed that blanket yeah. all over the blood that was Ooh, yeah. pooled up in the house and just yep. been like, "Well, you left this behind." Too easy. Grab a shirt out of her closet and just put in some blood and you left this shirt behind, you yep. left these bloody socks like Yep. So yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting to think about, though. Not saying that we, that's what we think, but it's just, like, it's just interesting, since there's no conclusion to this. Anyways, do-do-do-do-do. That leads me to the next theory, is Deputy Dodd as the killer. So he clearly didn't take kindly to Candace, a teenage girl, getting in his face, and maybe he had a few of his, a few of his deputy buddies that decided to make her pay. Again, that's kind of um Seems dumb, huh? Seems dumb. It's yeah, especially with them ham fisted. Like. Yeah, right. But I mean, his involvement with her murder, I don't think, especially with prior contacts and prior, obviously they had a previous. Encounter. Encounter that was not good. <laughs> yeah. They probably should have taken him off the case and replaced him with somebody else. Yep. But, yeah. I mean, again, that's not my responsibility. But um, he obviously... Yeah, maybe staffing thing. It might have been something else. Maybe he was, like, in charge of crime scenes and stuff like that. We don't know. Yeah. But it just seems kind of weird because he was a veteran deputy. He did retire very shortly after her murder, like, within 10 years. So, I mean... He knew what he was doing, mm-hmm. even with even I don't know previous encounters with her. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Even with I don't know. Even with uh, <laughs> I mean, perhaps he did just forget and accidentally leave the evidence in the unit because, like, Oops. personally, if I committed a crime to cover up my own murder, I wouldn't put things <laughs> like not my murder, but like if I murdered somebody and I took evidence and I was going to hide it in a storage unit, I wouldn't default on my payments. Yeah. Knowing that those things were in there. We say that, but people are dumb. Yeah, but like, I, like... Think about people who have a bunch of drugs in their car and they let their license plate expire. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, but he went to so... He uh, theoretically went to so much of an extent to hide cocky. these things. Huh? He got cocky. That's true. Maybe. He's like, fuck it. It's been long enough. Yeah, I mean, personally, the moment I found evidence that might have looked at, like, I was the murderer or something like that, especially if I had done the murder, I would have burned that shit. Yeah. Burn <laughs> that shit. You yep. can't find I don't ashes. evidence, but also. Yeah, no, please don't do that. <laughs> Sorry. If you're gonna do it, be fucking smart. We've right. said that before. Yeah. And that's how a lot of serial killers get found, because they keep these mementos of, like, the murders that they commit. Like, um, the... I don't remember what he's called, but there's this guy who collects women's right shoes or one shoe that they were wearing. Have you heard of that? Sounds familiar. He, like, killed a whole bunch of women, and he, like, kept all of their shoes. It's not Kemper, is it? No. Because he had a weird thing with... 
Yeah. She, okay. I don't know. Maybe it was. I don't think so. Anyways, so, um, yeah, that doesn't really hold in my opinion. Um, if the drug dealer theory, if we go that route, um, Dodd might have been like, hey, somebody's onto us and she's a fireball. And that, his drug connection? Mm-hmm. Okay. And his drug connection was like, mm, I'm going to nip this in the bud right now. Yeah, literally. And then Dodd so, got stuck with the evidence. Like, they yep. could connect me to the, dr- oh. Yep. That's what I'm thinking. This is what I think happened. I think if he was indeed involved with drug dealers in the area, that he was like, some little 17-year-old girl is onto us, and she's threatened (laughs) to expose me, and she's, like, going to law school. I would be be threatened by her. I'd be like, she's not going to fuck around. She's going to do her shit. She's going to fuck all of us. Um, (laughs) Not in a good way. But they were probably like, she's just a 17-year-old girl. We'll just take care of it. So then they take care of the dog. They've been sitting there. They've been scoping out the house. They know the family's routine at this point. Like, everybody's got a routine. Yeah. Don't lie and don't say that you don't have a routine, especially with your 8-to-5 job or whatever you work. Yeah, sorry. You do. Everybody does. predictable. Sorry. So, unfortunately, they could have been scoping it out because it happens about a week after Dodd's encounter with her so he could have gone to them that night and they could have started surveillance on her house yeah Mm -hmm. and then the dog goes missing like two three days later because they know instantly that's an issue we got to get rid of that Hmm. that's what i think that's really interesting yeah i feel like brother really didn't have a motive he had the means because he lived back there but i just unless he was in some kind of weird state yeah the motive and can you prove that right no yeah i don't know it's kind of interesting to think about that the last thing that i could find that's it for theories i i believe the last one the drug theory even though there's really no evidence to support it besides i think maybe dodd knew his yeah dodd knew that his drug buddies did this and he got kids on scene and he's like oh fuck now i gotta clean this up and ends up fucking it all up. Right. The last that I could find, CBI still has the evidence and is still looking into Candace's case. It's still a cold case. And then a couple more updates real quick of Paige. She was raised by um, Dolores after Candace's death. Unfortunately, Paige's medical conditions got the best of her on November 21st, 2012, which was Thanksgiving. Oh. I know. Uh, so sad. So she unfortunately died that day. Dolores wanted Paige to make a difference in other people's lives even after her death. So so this is kind of gruesome, but also really cool at the same time. They donated skin grafts, heart valve stems, bone marrow, um, and things like that to other children that needed it. Yeah. Um, So that's super cool. So I'm sorry if that's a little graphic, but like that's what people. Right? Heck yeah. So the family also had a memorial for Paige made at the Cowboy Church in Westcliff, Colorado, which is about an hour away. Do you know Westcliff? Yeah. Cool. My family there. Hello, family, if you're listening. I wonder if my family members can take a picture of this church for me. Anyways, they to help offset expenses, the family actually established an account at Pueblo Bank and Trust at 1401 Main Street in Canyon City, Colorado. Um, so those who want to help, I don't know if this account is still open from what I could find it was. So if you want to be able to help out the family in like a little, any manner that you can, they do have a big account and we will put that in the show notes so that you guys can check it out. That information that I found was of, as of 2012. So, so again, I'm not sure yeah. if they still need have this account sure. open or anything but like i think it yeah. still would be nice to help them out a little bit if you could right so then also i want to update you on james 
last we heard of James, he was at Colorado Mental Health Institute in Pueblo, and he has been there since 2008. According to Canyon City Daily Record, Dolores was interviewed about her son and stated, Jimmy has come a long way. Um, he has gotten help for his mental health issues and phobias and is now a peer counselor at Pueblo State Hospital and has off-ground privileges and works off off-site. Wow. Yeah, as well as being a peer counselor. And on April 8th of 2015, James was up for review, but the DA, Tom Ledeau, um, objected and James was denied any release. Even Boom. though James has still yet to be charged with anything to do with Candace's really murder. Free. Yeah, he's still considered a person of interest. Um, okay. And also, according to True Crime Garage, I couldn't find this, but maybe they found different sources than I had. They stated that he keeps getting denied from getting out of the mental health facilities because they keep, anytime he's up for, like, I guess, appeal or re-evaluation, re thank you, um, they keep going and saying, well, he's a suspect in a murder case, so you can't release him to the public. When is he ever going to not be a suspect until he's released? He can't stand... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. That's just what they said, and I yeah. couldn't find anything else about it, but that's really okay. infuriating if that's what's happening. What a story. Isn't that crazy? Holy cow. <laughs> it's fucking weird, and the whole time I lived in Canyon, didn't hear about this at once. What? I li- I've lived, I lived there from 1993 oh. to 2013. Wow. Didn't hear about it. Holy cow. So, like, either... They covered it up really well to make it not so much of a tabloid, because my dad read the paper every morning. He worked at the jail, the prison, there in town. If anybody knew, it would have been your dad. Right, and I even asked him about it, and he's like, hmm, I know a Candace. And I was like, well, she's dead. And he's like, oh, nope. (laughs) Wrong one. Wrong Candace. So, I don't know. He thought, according to his knowledge, that half the sheriff's department, police department, and fire department quit after the investigation into dot in like 2012 but like what out of solidarity or like right out of i don't know i don't know or... if my dad was like one person quit so like another oh, person no. quit yeah i don't know if it's just <laughs> sure. over dramatization in my dad's yeah, account yeah, yeah. or misremembering or right. anything i have nothing to prove that mm-hmm. that's what's actually happened yeah. but that's what my dad claims when i talk to him about it so okay <laughs> i'm done now bananas so crazy huh i talked for a long time didn't i you don't... It's fine. Okay, I'm Mine so is short, sorry. so you're fine. Mine's good. Mine's, like, case closed. Pretty good. Sick. Cool. Because yours isn't unsolved. If you know no. anything... Because I feel like a lot of my friends listen to this, so if you know anything, please just, I don't know, call CBI, because they're investigating it. Yep. Fucking, Tips are always welcome. Let's give the family some justice, because yeah. it's super fucked up. Yeah. I'm done. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you about... <clears throat> A local funeral home in Montrose, Colorado, where I grew up, that is very close to uh, my heart because my childhood best friend, who I grew up with for literally my entire life up until, like, sixth or seventh grade, Mm -hmm. his dad built it. Oh, my gosh. And I remember when he built it and when he was running it, and he was, like, the best, you know, funeral director in town. Yeah. He did my grandpa's, uh, uncle's, grandma's, like, everybody's. So the best article that I found about this um, came from a pretty small newspaper in Gunnison, but very, Gunnison? very well done. Yes, in Weird. Gunnison, Colorado, um, but it's very well done. And this, uh, the writer of it goes into one person's account, which mimics many, many people's accounts. But this is okay. a very like deep delve into one 
person's account of what happened. I so, like that. It's going to be one local woman's account of her strange experience dealing with the death of a close friend. So, Debbie Shum was best friends with Laura Lee Johnson for more than 30 years. Oh, wow. Um, she lived in Hotchkiss. Mm-hmm. We're going to call her Laura. Um, and Laura ended up actually passing away in Shum's home in Hotchkiss after she had battled cancer for oh, no. years and years, and she ended up in hospice. Oh, no. Goes and stays with Shum, and literally... A week after she she moved into her best friend's house, she died. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. So, in her will, uh, Laura asked that her body be cremated, and she was an artist. So she wanted her remains, her cremains, cremated remains, to be mixed with glitter and ground herbs, and then she wanted Ew. them spread at Orvis Hot Springs in Ridgeway, Colorado. <laughs> Fun fact about Orvis, um, it is a nude hot spring. Love it. And my bro- <laughs> my brother took my nieces there once. There oh, is no. a there is a closed portion oh, and then God. a non closed portion. But unfortunately, uh, my nieces asked, "Dad, why is Santa naked?" And I might cut this out. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> we might ask them tomorrow when we visit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a notoriously it's like a nude hot springs so yeah anyways they spent a lot of time there and they Why is Santa naked? <laughs> they were super young they're like what i think they were literally like passing towards like the part of the hot oh springs that is not why nude. would you have the not nude <laughs> you have to cross through the nude i've springs. never been there so i don't really know so i'll <laughs> i don't know so, Laura's body ended up being taken to Sunset Mesa Funeral Directors in Montrose, Colorado, the day after she passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was at the discretion of the hospice company that she was working with. So, you and I know how that works. Like, if somebody is working with hospice and they die, all their arrangements are made through, through hospice. hospice. Yeah. So, there was, that's what Debbie went through. There was one time hospice called us because somebody died. And I was like, I don't think we have this anything right. to do with that. I've gone to one that was really weird. Like, I can send you an ambulance, but I mean, I don't... Yeah. Like, I, I, I've gone to a couple where, like, hospice was in charge of it. Normally, we don't go to those anyways. Yeah, like, yeah. they kind of take care of it in-house, but, like, a neighbor found out. It was, like, an apartment, and the neighbor called us. Oh, and they didn't know. And it was super, oh. yeah. Um, anywho, so, she ends up getting taken to Sunset Mesa. Mm. Debbie basically was the only one, like, the only, quote, family that uh, Laura had. So she ended up with all the remains. And she said it took seven weeks for the ashes to be returned to her. I don't think that's right. No. I've never had that done, though. But that seems like a long time, right? Yeah. And uh, they were returned in a small gift bag, which Debbie later in an interview said she found tacky like very tacky and i agree with that i feel like from what i know from like having animals cremated they offer like an urn or like a little bag but it's not like tacky it's like a velvet pouch or something that's like classier right not like a little paper sandwich bag which this is what i'm picturing but i don't know if that's what it is okay so let me give you a little background sunset mesa funeral directors uh, is owned or was at the time owned by 42 year old Megan Hess. It's located in Montrose, Colorado, and it was originally built and owned by Brett Gowan, who uh, is the father of my childhood best friend Tristan Gowan. And um, basically, Brett built this funeral home from the ground up, and I remember it, it was very stressful, but ended up being just gorgeous. Like, 
Yeah. Top of the line, the best one in town, brand new. And Brett was very good at what he did because he came from Colorado Springs. Very big city. Yeah. Right. Where you're having to deal with, like, a a lot lot of death and a lot of very violent death. And very And you're having to make that look presentable. Yeah, to family members. Yeah, he was really, really good at what he did. Good. So, he builds this funeral home and he hires Megan who uh, he knew from this local sub shop that we have in town. Uh, her, and I think it was her husband or her ex-husband, owned this really good sandwich shop. She had some kind of business experience. Brett was good friends with them. Um, he hires Megan, who eventually, um, as Brett and, and Tristan put it, she found a way to basically financially starve him out of the... <sighs> she just gained some kind of control starves him out and he had to leave and he ends up working somewhere else he sold the majority of it to her oh my gosh it's like a Shit's creek kind of thing yeah and then she was also helped by her mom shirley i'm gonna say coke k-o-c-h yep um because they so they did the funeral home and then they also had like a body donation service that they did on the side in there uh-huh. So, like, if you came in, um, you could, if you, part of what you were trying to do was, like, donate your body to science, they could help you with that. Okay, I see. So you wouldn't have to go through another company. I thought it was company. just, like, here's this body that I found. <laughs> Take it. <laughs> no, that's, like, a pretty common thing. So let's get back to Debbie and Laura. So Megan has asked for $1,000 cash to cremate Laura, which seems weird to me that you wouldn't take any other form of money, but she specifically asked for cash, and Debbie was like, well, I'm, like, not, I don't live in Montrose, and I don't have that much cash in my wallet. Like, it's not to say she didn't have that much cash, but she didn't have it that day. Right. And so Hess was like, why don't you donate Laura's bladder, which was not affected by the chemo and the cancer treatments? And it, she told her, like, if you donate uh, this organ to science, quote-unquote, uh, for, like, cancer research, then um, the cremation would be free. What? Yeah. Seems Is sketchy. Is a bladder worth $1,000? I To be honest, if I'm not super... If that's the case, I better start cutting out my body. Uh, let's... Kidding. No. I think we're good. Okay. <laughs> um, Do you guys need a toe for science? So it's illegal to donate your live organs outside of like unos but you can technically donate parts of dead bodies to research to uh cadaver labs things like that plant farms body farms body farms (laughs) totally debbie was super hesitant to do this because laura was very clear that she didn't want any of her any part of her body removed and that's part of why she died because the part that was cancerous they were going to remove that and she didn't want oh. that removed. Was that like a religious thing or just a personal belief? I, from what I read, it's personal. Okay. Um, she was more on the spiritual side I and see. less on the like organized religion. I see. I'm speculating a lot with that, so don't take that um, for much. But when it comes down to it, she didn't want to, She didn't want right. her body like desecrated. Right, right, right. I so, see. but Debbie ended up going through with it because. It was free. She, it, yeah, it was free, and she was in the moment and, like, under pressure by right. Megan. A lot of us do a lot of stupid things, like scam yes. calls. That's how they get you. They start to freak you out a little bit, and then totally. they hook you. Totally. So, seven weeks later, Debbie gets the ashes back. It's a little bit weird because it's in this really small bag, and, yeah. like, mm, doesn't seem quite right. Kind of tacky. 
a year later, Debbie gets a strange call from the FBI. Oh, no. They said, hey, if you still have them, we'd really like it if you bring that bag of ashes to, they had like a lab set up at Colorado Mason University in Grand Junction, which is about an hour from uh, Montrose. I don't know how long from Hotchkiss. Probably similar. Yeah. And she agreed. She go, She gets to the school and uh, hands over the bag and then an FBI, a couple of FBI agents uh, start interviewing her. Bring her back to interview her about the funeral home that she dealt with. Oh, so gosh. they're asking her questions like, did you contact them? to Mm -hmm. deal with the funeral arrangements. And she says, nope, um, that was all hospice. I just went through what she had already planned out through hospice. She said, the FBI says, what would you have done if Megan Hess asked you to donate the whole body instead of just that one organ? And Debbie's like, well, I would have said no, because that's not what she wanted. I only did this because it was going to make the cremation free. And that conversation didn't go that way. Like, I would have said no. Right. Especially since you can't donate. Especially if she had cancer, you can't donate that. Can no. you? It's, no. Well, I don't not, know. I mean, I mean, not in those circumstances that Megan was explaining. Right. So the agents then explained what actually happened with Laura's oh body, which is the same as what happened to tens, if not hundreds, of other oh, bodies no. after uh, their loved ones left them at sunset mesa funeral director so um they started investigating hess at the funeral home in october of 2017 and according to uh my best friend whose dad owned it um they investigated because somebody who had their loved one's ashes in an urn their cat wouldn't stop messing around the urn Oh, no. And they're like, get away from this urn. Like, this is grandpa. Get away from this urn. Yeah. I don't know who it was. But they ended up, uh, the cat kept getting into it, kept trying to get into it, like, over and over and over. And they finally open up this urn, look into it, and guess what it is? I'm assuming it's not tuna. Not it's not tuna. tuna. Um, it was not fresh nip? tuna. How about cat litter? That's so they disgusting. go to the authorities with it, and the FBI gets involved. Um... Turned fuck? out, they found out Hess also ran a nonprofit out of the building, which we talked about before, called Donor Services Inc., through which she sold donated bodies or their parts to different companies. Uh, these were generally like science related. So, yeah. Um, the field of body donating or body brokering is incredibly unregulated, though legal. Very unregulated. So it generally contributes to cadaver labs and universities, med schools, uh, research for car companies, which I found interesting. Though. Oh, so like test collisions. Yep. And uh, the military also uses them. So, Makes sense. Um, if you've ever, have you ever heard of Body World? Do you remember that exhibit that went around? No, but I, I've heard about it. So, it's an exhibit that tours and shows uh, plasticized bodies that were donated. So, um, the act of plasticization, sounds right. Yeah, that sounds (laughs) Um, great. Is basically when you preserve a body to make it so that you can study the anatomy. Right. And it doesn't decay. It's 
plasticized, basically. So if you go to this exhibit, you can see different bodies that are just muscles, just uh, the vascular system, bones, things like that, and you can see the different parts yeah. of bodies, but they are real bodies. Yeah. Um, that sounds a lot like when I went to the Shakespeare exhibit at the Art Museum in Denver. They had a lot of those because Shakespeare was very delved into anatomy yep, and stuff like that. Totally. Yeah. Um, I think Body World actually did an exhibit there as well. Back in the, like, 2000s. Early oh, yeah. 2000s. I was like, it's definitely not what I went to. That no. Um, and unfortunately, several victims literally found their loved ones' bodies in catalogs showing these plasticized bodies. And that's how they found out that they were victims of this. Um, oh, specific. my God. Could you imagine? No, they thinking... thought their they thought their loved ones had been cremated. And then they're looking through these magazines and they say, wow, that looks like Jeff. Oh. Like, <laughs> no. Isn't that fucked? Oh, no. Yes. Oh, no. Um, so, the FBI reviewed Hess's donor files and found she had allegedly sold bodies that were meant for crema- cremation without the proper consent, and they eventually raided uh, the funeral home and oh found gosh. that she also failed to maintain necessary records for years and years and years and disposed of bodies without the correct permits, and they ended up telling uh, Debbie, like, we think this is probably what happened to your friend because the the... Uh, remains that you had Ugh. tested are not human. Correct. Ugh. So, Colorado Mesa University tested 128 samples of cremated remains submitted by many families who heard of the investigation and wanted to make sure that their family members weren't victims. The problem was um, the FBI really had a select type of victim that they wanted to include in their case. They wanted the very cream of the crop when it came to evidence. Right. So... They only took some, uh, around 50 bodies that were sold whole. Um, okay. And then once people started realizing that this was an investigation that was happening, they wanted to know if their families were affected. So um, some the bodies that were involved with the actual case went to Quantico and went to that lab, and then other bodies uh, went to CMU. Okay. And that... So, like, both were testing it, but some were part of right. official evidence. I was thinking also, like, the manpower that it would take oh for the FBI gosh. to, like, go through each and every single one. I understand why they had to be so selective. Yeah. So, some, like I said, some were taken to Quantico, including Laura's, to be considered evidence in the FBI's official cases. These official remains involved approximately 50 bodies that were sold whole. And then afterwards, false cremated remains were given to families. <sighs> this includes cement, uh, like, non-mixed cement cat litter things like that yeah um some actually did have ashes in them but you couldn't at that point prove if they were human animal if they were your loved one or someone else's like it was just such a uh hodgepodge of shit yeah that you just couldn't tell um the fbi found that though these bodies were originally sold whole as they go along, generally they get dismembered through transfers between buyers, and they end up being hard to, like, really hard to track. So they let the families know that they, um, it would be really unlikely to oh, ever really no. find their their people's <gasps> body parts. So, so sad. The FBI ended up setting up an online survey for Sunset Mesa's clients so they could find out if they might be relevant to the investigation. Mm-hmm. And then... Outside of that, Debbie created a Facebook group uh, for victims of the body brokering, and the group mm-hmm. right now has around 400 people in it. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, she posted <sighs> in the group about maybe having an actual in-person meetup, kind of like a uh, support group. Mm-hmm. 
kind of thing. And it ended up turning into a gathering of over 100 people in wow. a park in Delta. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is another town. It's about 20 minutes from Montrose. It's like halfway through Grand Junction and yeah. uh, Montrose. So... So random. Yeah. Today, um, just a couple facts. About half of all people who use the funeral industry, which is not legally required. Okay. Um, you don't have to have a funeral? Technically, no. What? So, never Sometimes mind. it depends on the state. Um, they all have different regulations, but mm-hmm. you don't technically always have to ha- use a funeral service. Okay. Um. But half of the people who do choose cremation because it's economical, it's efficient, and in my personal opinion, it is less scary than the thought of being buried. I don't like that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Tie a bell to your wrist? Is that what you want oh, to do? Oh, God, I hate that. Okay, sorry. Uh, sorry. my gosh. So, it's worth noting that, like, half the people who are going to this funeral home were probably choosing cremation. So, like, the number... Of people who are probably involved with this is lower. Ah, like, definitely going to be underreported. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after the university finally finished their testing, and they're obviously doing more for more people who keep coming up, um, they found much more than just cement and cat litter being passed off as cremated remains. No. Uh, they found jewelry fragments, Swiss Army knife parts, wires, batteries... And in all these cases, these items that they were finding in the cremains did not belong to the person. What? That was supposedly in was the remains. Was she just remains. going to, like, a scrap metal yard and, like, just picking up their shavings well, or So something? they believed that she was mixing all kinds of material in bulk, including some ashes, like we said, and then was just, just had, like, a big old bucket she was scooping from and putting oh in people's... Gosh. Yeah. What the fuck? So, uh, for... At the time of this publication, uh, four civil suits have been filed. There's been more since then. It's a very, like, evolving case right Mm -hmm. now. Totally. Because it's pretty recent. Yeah. Um, In one, Hess was ordered to pay almost $500,000 to a customer. Oh, shit. In March of 2020, Megan Hess and her mother, Shirley Koch, were arrested and appeared before a U.S. magistrate judge in Grand Junction. So these were federal charges. They were not local. um, Where they were informed of their rights and the charges against them, which included six counts of mail fraud, Mm -hmm. three counts of illegal transportation of hazardous materials, and that's all they were charged with. But the thing is, like, it fits, unfortunately, like, you... You want to see more, but there aren't lots of statutes right. that, like, relate to the funeral industry. And it's not like they, like, murdered these people to right. do this. Right. And, and what I heard from Tristan is that, like, her ex-husband has been charged with being involved. Like, a lot of, a ton of civil suits are in mm-hmm. the works. Um, but for these federal, like, criminal charges, each defendant, uh, Hess and her mom, face up to 20 years in federal prison for each count oh, of good. mail fraud. So that's six counts, so that is uh, 120 years. Good. Each. Yeah. Um, for the mail fraud and five years each for each count of the hazardous materials charge. Uh-huh. And then also each face up to $250,000 fine per count. Gotcha. And then the trial, the official trial set for sometime this year in 2021, uh, there's a possible plea deal in the works, but there are all kinds of civil suits that are coming through. Dang. So, um, a new company, or I guess business, is in that building now, and it's some kind of like faith-based something, but also they deal with like sexual health. 
Huh. So. Interesting. I don't know. I worked there for a little bit when I was, like, little. When I was, like, a funeral We would, like, clean it. Yeah, we would, like, yeah. vacuum and stuff, but. Oh, that's that story. Weird. Um, I have a lot of family members who were buried through there, but nobody no was cremated. cremated okay. So. Phew. Phew. As far as I know, Dodged I mean, we had a viewing, it. but between the viewing and the the burial, who know. knows what they did with the body? Who's to know? Yeah, I wonder. Do they? I'm sure they probably looked into this because I hope that the FBI is this smart, like, to make sure that it was just the cremated parties. Because even with a viewing, like you said, like, you don't know what they're gonna do when they take they're, the body back. The and, viewing is never. Uh, I've never had it's the, same the same day. day. Yeah. So who knows? They could have put a mannequin in there. Yeah. I don't. I. I'm. I don't know. Interesting. I hope that uh, some sandbags make it feel like it's a per- person. I don't know. I don't know either. I have no idea. But uh, well, I hope that they looked into that as a possibility at least yeah. and ruled it out. Sure. Fingers crossed looking right. at the positive point of view here. So yeah, my story. I like it. Yeah? That's really it's interesting. pretty wild. It's Super pretty, wild. like, personal. Right, especially, like, <clears throat> these small-town crimes are kind of, I feel like, the ones that are the most, like, what the fuck? Because mm-hmm. it's, like, little podunk towns that you've never heard of, and it's, like... Crazy shit Crazy happening. fucking shit. Shit happens in small towns all the yeah, time. Yeah, and I found a lot of podcasts about this, so Ooh. that was surprising. Yeah, I found the main, <clears throat> like I said, True Crime Garage is, like, the biggest They're good. podcast that I heard, yeah. that, and it was, like, 100... Episode 140 and 141, so it's a two-parter for them. Wow. But they do a lot of banter yeah. back and forth, and they yeah. have really good theories and conversations about sure. it. Um, but there's really no other big names that I could find. And it took me forever to find True Crime Garage, because anytime I look, so they weird. have so many episodes that yeah. like, Apple Podcasts doesn't go back that far, Spotify doesn't go back that far, I had to yeah. go use Stitcher <laughs> to listen to this episode, yeah. to those episodes. So, so anyways... If you want to listen to True Crime Garage, check it out on Stitcher. They're pretty good. Super good. Super good. A lot of information that I didn't cover, too. Yeah. Because I was just trying to bare bones it, but I still <laughs> apparently talked forever. <laughs> Whoops. That's my No, no, fault. you're good. You're good. Cool. What else do you have? Nothing. That's it. Okay. I'm excited for next week. I'm always... Every week <clears throat> is like a new excitement for me because we talk about really weird shit um you can find us on instagram at who knew podcast or you can find us on gmail at uh who knew podcast 666 at gmail.com mm-hmm. and then we have a patreon as well sam you can talk about that because i don't know that much yeah, you can just find us at who knew i don't know if it, i'm pretty sure it's who knew podcast because that's what i use for everything but um there's three different tiers different tiers give you different options we um partnered with our good friend Monique that we talked about in the beginning of this for baby Shroomart. She um, built us our own like specific piece of art for stickers. Yeah. Yeah. She drew it, like painted it out and then photographed it and stuff for us to use. So I'm really excited about that. And so patrons get um, first tier gets our own custom made sticker. And then the second tier gets a holographic sticker, which is super cool. And then you get the original sticker too. And then our third tier patrons will get a shirt with that logo on it. So, and then all of them get um, early access to our episodes. Every single one gets early access and that's 24 hours mountain standard time we post at midnight um Ish. yeah 
for the most part, it's usually on midnight because we're up late and we're pretty ahead of things usually. Yeah. But um, there are some times where life gets ahead of us and I we think, might be a little late. But I think I did like one on this last one because it like for some reason Patreon would not let me click. Oh yeah, twelve. It Patreon's does really weird, weird with like trying kind of to... buggy mm-hmm. a little bit, but uh, it's always like within that like twelve to one hour. Right. Yeah. So pretty. Pretty early access for that, at least a day in advance. If you're wa- if you're listening to podcasts that late, kudos. Good to for you, because we do. <laughs> do we? I mean, when we we're like Ink Master and like. But I mean, if we're like doing projects or something, yeah. like when we are doing okay, okay. these shelves at That's three a.m. That's we're fair. listening to a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I don't know. Um, there's other things that is offered on Patreon. I just those are like the highlights that I'm really excited yeah. about. And then that's. It by this time this episode comes out, our merch will be no longer available. So sorry, you missed out. Yep. Anyways, unless I want it, unless we like do get more in a, do well. Campaigns. Yeah, we have only a couple days left as of recording today, and this is the fifteenth that we're recording. Yeah. Um, we only have a couple days left of the campaign. So if it does well, we might do it again. Um, so far I really enjoy it. Cool. Anyways, that's it. That's all I have. Okay. That's it. I don't have any animals to say goodbye with. Okay. They all left us. Us. Goodbye.